I just came from downstairs, our uh, 1030 service. We had a, a sacrament of infant baptism, and uh, little Maggie was baptized in uh, Greenwich. And uh, um, there was a minister that had baptized their two other children, and uh, United Methodist clergy, and he came and, and did the baptism uh, at my invitation. Ministers do that invitation. Uh, and it was just so sweet. It was so precious. Um, to see uh, God at work uh, in the sacrament of baptism and just have that connectional system, which is so strong in Methodism, it was just a blessing to, to be a part of that. And so I just uh, want to share that with you. A lot of times, since we have three services, we don't get to experience all the things that are going on uh, in the other worship experiences. Now, Fran and I do because we get to be with all of you guys. But anyway, just a real sweet, sweet time. Uh, I did have a plan to take a different shirt and put it on and not be white here and blow you out with the bright, but that's, uh, sorry about that. Uh, more than you need to know. Uh, one more thing. Um, tonight at 6, if you're able to join us at Ace Academy, we're going to be praying there. We've been praying in all the different schools that we've been able to uh, set up and line up and then go on Sunday nights uh, at different schools each Sunday. Uh, but tonight we'll be at Ace, so if you're able to come join us at 6, I'd uh, love to have you. From 6 to 7, we'll be praying uh, on the grounds there. If you're not able, just, just pray where you are. Uh, but thank you. Um, but we're in the middle of a sermon series uh, talking about the stories in our life, the powerful stories, and how Jesus' story changed it all. And so we've been looking at the, the life of Jesus and, and how his story had such an impact on every single person who's ever lived and the impact that he's had on us. And we cel we're celebrating that. Uh, and so this morning I want to focus on something that John wrote in one of the letters that he has. It's First uh, John it's in your bulletin, uh, chapter 3, verse 8, and it's the second part of verse 8. So when you see a B, if you see a verse with a B, it means the second part of that verse. So anyway, this is the, very, the second part of 1 John 3, 8. It says, the Son of Man, and we know that's Jesus, the Son of Man appeared for this purpose. So John is trying to, to remind the, the people that are receiving this letter, this is one of the reasons that Jesus came. And then it goes on to say, to destroy the works of the devil. So one of the reasons that Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil. And what are the works of the devil? We'll unpack those later on. But I want to give you an illustration from the ministry of Jesus that basically fleshes this out. And so we see in Luke chapter 13, in Luke th chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, a situation in the life of Jesus where he begins to destroy the works of the devil. Uh, so what happens in Luke 10, I'll read it to you. It says, and he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. So here's the situation. Jesus goes into the, uh, on a Sabbath day, on a, on a day to worship, he goes into the synagogue, and there's a great crowd there, of course, and in this crowd, there's this woman, and this woman is bent over double. And this is how she has to walk. And this is how she's walked for 18 years. She couldn't, do, she couldn't straighten up, so all of her experience, when she eats, she has to sit down. When she sleeps, she's, she's sleeping in an L shape. This is her life for 18 years. Now, that's difficult for me to do just for about a minute, but this is her life. This is her experience. And so the Scripture says that this sickness or this situation she was in was caused by a spirit. Now, remember when we did our sermon series, it's complicated, right? And we, we know that the world is complicated. It's just not black and white, cut and dry. There's more issues. And so we can't say that every sickness 
because this sickness for this woman or this situation that was caused by spirit, we can't say every situation, every ailment, every uh, problem is caused by spirit. But in this situation, this woman's experience of being 18 years doubled over was caused by a demonic spirit. Now, let's go on. It says, when Jesus saw her, so Jesus is looking over the, the folks that are there, and he sees this woman, he called her over and said to her. So he calls her over. She takes the time to walk over to Jesus. When she's right next to Jesus, he says this, woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. Now, you know, wouldn't that be awesome? So if you were there, and here's this woman, and he lays hands on her, and he said, you're, you're free from your sickness. And all of a sudden, she comes up, and she's like, I don't know what she did, but she probably said, hallelujah. She probably said, glory to God. I don't know what she said, but she praises the Lord, and it's probably not like, oh, hallelujah. (laughs) I bet she was like, 18 years of being doubled over? Whoa, you know, like the genie in Aladdin, you know, he goes, you know, 10,000 years, you know, that kind of, if you, if you have little kids and you watch Aladdin, you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, so the bottom line is she's like, hallelujah, God has set me free just like that. Now, you would think everybody would be, wow, that is cool. They'd be high-fiving each other. And, but here's what happened. But one of the synagogue officials, now this is one of the rulers, this is one of the leaders in the synagogue, one of the the religious leaders, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Now he wasn't happy, he was indignant. He wasn't just upset, he was really upset. And he was upset that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. We'll get into that in a minute. He began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done, so come during one of them and get healed. He wasn't saying, I don't mind you getting healed. He's saying, just don't do it on the Sabbath. And that's what he said, and not on the Sabbath day. Now, you see how twisted that is when you see Jesus' response. But here, to defend him, and sometimes we have to to say, you know, we, we can't make these people out to be as bad as they appear to be when you read. But... In the Old Testament, the Sabbath was a, was a significant request of God to observe. It was one of the Ten Commandments, keep the Sabbath holy. And so the religious leaders took that commandment of God, which basically is designed to help us not burn out. God said in the, in the book of Genesis, he worked six days creating everything, and he rested on the Sabbath. It wasn't because God was tired, but he gave us a model by which we ought to live. We ought to work hard, but then we're to rest. We're to work hard, and then we're to rest. And the problem that we find sometimes when you work hard and you're productive, you never take a break. And so some people need to say, I, I need to understand this Sabbath principle. Some people don't work hard at all, and they need to work hard. Does that make sense? But the bottom line is, God said, I want you to keep one day sacred and don't work on that day. So the religious leaders through the years, because they wanted to obey God and not break the commandments, they started tacking on all these extra requirements, all these extra commandments in their minds, all these extra regulations, all these extra rules, because they didn't want to break God's law. So they said, man, you can't even do anything on the Sabbath. If you do, you're going to be ostracized from the, from the synagogue. You're going to be fussed at. You're going to be, you're going to be you know, it, it, was, it got so serious and so legalistic that during the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, 
they were so put out that something good happened on the Sabbath that they couldn't celebrate with this woman who got healed. So this is how Jesus responds. He says, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his donkey or his ox from the stall and lead them away to water them? This woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from her bond on the Sabbath day? And the answer is yes. And so he goes on and all the multitude rejoiced and and, uh, celebrated the glorious things that Jesus had done. So here's what Jesus did. He sees a woman who for 18 long years had been afflicted by a spirit. He prays for her. She's immediately healed. And he says, it was Satan who had bound her. Now, Jesus comes to destroy the works of the devil. Now, here's what we've got to be careful of. We can't say every bad thing that happens is the devil doing it. We can't, we can't blame Satan for everything. But we need to understand and we need to not be um, naive that there is this spiritual dynamic, there is this spiritual world that is anti-Christ, that is against you and me as followers of Jesus. And if we're not aware of the fact that there's this demonic world out there, these scriptures that we're going to look at in a minute will help us get a, a glimpse on that. Now, I don't want you to be intimidated and frightened of the demons and Satan. We'll, we'll, we'll get a good balance on that in just a minute. But here's Paul writing to a church in Corinth and writing to a church in Ephesus to remind them of the spiritual dynamic that you and I have to face as followers of Jesus that we can't be naive about. Now, we can't blame everything on them that's bad that's happening, but we need to be aware of it. Here's what uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6 says. He says, Paul writes to the church, and he says, For though we walk in the flesh, in other words, physically we've got flesh and bone, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful. Will you say that with me? I know you got a mask on. Divinely powerful on three. One, two, three. That's right. Divinely powerful. So when Jesus laid hands on that woman and said, You're healed. The power of God was available, and she came right up. Divinely powerful, I love this, for the destruction of fortresses. The fortresses that, that this woman for 18 years had been bound by Satan. There was such a stronghold on this woman. She probably went to every doctor she could go to, great physicians back then like we do today. But nothing could help her except the divinely powerful anointing of God, the divinely powerful weapons of God, the divinely powerful things that are available to you and me as Christians that Jesus had uh, available to him. He says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience, whether whenever your obedience is complete. When he talks about the spiritual dynamic, the war that we have is not against flesh and blood. My, My battle is not against you. Even though there might be conflicts, we work those out. But he said there's a there's a realm out there, there's a spiritual world that we need to be aware of, and God gives us the power, divine power, to be successful, to destroy these fortresses that are built up. And then he talks about our thought life, and I've talked about this before, but so much of our battle So much of the warfare that goes on in in a believer's mind and in those who don't know Christ yet is right here. Our thoughts. And he's saying we can win the battle. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we'll talk about that in a minute. 
So the bottom line is we need to know that there is a spiritual world. Paul writes about it there. In Ephesians 6, he writes about it to the church in Ephesus, and he says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord, and this is verse 10 through 17, and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God. Now, why do you need armor? Because we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a war, right? He says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Jesus comes to destroy the work of the devil. The devil has strategy. The devil has schemes. And so Paul's saying, you've got this armor that God gives you. We've got this divinely powerful uh, uh, weapons that, that are there because there are demons and, and there's Satan that, that, that's trying to shipwreck you in your faith, that's trying to derail you from following God, trying to get you off the path. He says, but there are schemes. And then he says, for our struggle, another translation says our wrestling match, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, like he said earlier in, in 2 Corinthians, uh, but against rulers, against powers, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So where is our battle as a believer? It's not against one another, even though they, you might have to work something out because you've hurt somebody's feelings. But our true battle is not against another person. Paul's in reminding us there is a spiritual dynamic, and the real battle is against the rulers, against the powers, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. It doesn't mean heaven's got a bunch of demons in there. In the realm, the spiritual realm that you and I don't see. And then he goes on to say, take up the full armor of God. We won't unpack that, but it's a powerful passage. Uh, girding your loins with truth, putting on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, shotting your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, uh, taking up the shield of faith, which is able to uh, extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So here's more of this, this idea, you know, that, that the evil one has these arrows, these flaming arrows, and he's shooting at But faith in Christ extinguishes those. You get the shield of faith block them off. And then he talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Take the sword of the spirit out, just knock them off. Uh, it's just so much fun when you win in victory because God gives us victory. Um, so 2 Corinthians 10 talks about this. Ephesians 6 talks about that. And then 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11 says this. Paul's, he's talking about um, uh, living in, 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 in freedom of, uh, from sin and things like that. And then he says, uh, you know, I'm willing to forgive those who repent, that kind of thing. In order that, this is verse 11, no advantage be taking, taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So the bottom line is, you and I need to realize that Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan because there are works of Satan. There are schemes that he has. There, there's strategies that he has to, to hurt you and to hurt me as followers of Christ. And we need to, need to know what they are. And, and just like Jesus, we, we walk in victory of that. So let's talk about a couple of these. What is one of the lies, what are, I mean, one of the schemes of, of Satan? And that is the fact that he is the father of lies. He is a liar. And he's going to use lies to help him to convince you that you shouldn't walk with Christ or to convince you that you aren't um, uh, worthy of Jesus even loving you or to convince you uh, of whatever or, or to lie to you to, so you don't believe what the scriptures teach or what someone says to you. You don't trust them. So, so Satan uses lies as one of his strategies, one of his tactics, part of the scheme. That he lies to us. He lied to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis. So what combats that, and that is the truth. So in John 8, 32, Jesus said um, 
to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So when Satan whispers these lies to you, the truth and knowing the word of God and letting the word of God abide in you, you're able to, to refute those lies. And I'll take you to, to, to the very first part of Jesus' ministry. After he's baptized, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil during those 40 days. And part of what the devil does is try to lie to Jesus. And what does Jesus do in response? He says, it is written. And he uses the word of God, truth, to combat the lie. So if, if you're having these thoughts in your mind that are from Satan, they're lies. And you've got to know what is the truth what is reality? And that sets you free, helps us walk in freedom. Uh, John 12, 46, Jesus said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not be in darkness. Believing a lie keeps you in spiritual darkness. But as, as we know what Jesus said and know what the scriptures teach, then we have light because Jesus is alive, and, and you're not in darkness anymore. It's like, ah, now I see. How many times have you said, now I see when, when the light goes on? And as we walk with Jesus and we believe the truth of what Jesus says, then that gives us the light, and we're able to recognize the lies. We're able to say, oh, yeah. Then we take that thought captive to the truth of Jesus, and we believe the truth over the lie. So that's one of the schemes we need to know. Another scheme that we need to know is that uh, his, his desire for you is not for your good. So if you hear this lie and you think, oh, that'll be fun. Why don't I do this? Because it'll be more enjoyable than, than, than obeying Jesus. Because the lie is if you obey God, you're not going to have any fun. God's holding out on you. God's keeping you from enjoying the good life. But if you do engage in these activities, which are so much fun and so much life-giving, uh, you might think, well, that's, that's better. And, and Satan comes to, and Jesus said this in John 10, steal, kill, and destroy. He says, but I have come. He says, the thief comes, and we know he's talking about Satan. Uh, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So part of the strategy is to do something that's going to steal from you. Your joy, uh, fulfillment in relationships, um, it's going to, trying to steal from you, kill you and destroy you. I mean, that's, that's what Satan wants for you and me. So if you think, well, gosh, if I just, you know, engage in these activities, which I know God doesn't want me to, but, but it's going to be fun and adventurous, what the end result is going to be, it's going to steal from you, it's probably going to end up killing you and destroy you. And we need to know that. So anything he's trying to entice us to do, that's the end. Death, destruction, and uh, depravity. Uh, a third thing is that the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. It kind of gets into that first thing, the lies that he makes. A lot of times are lies of accusation. Let me read to you out of Revelation 12, verse 9 through 10. It says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan. So Satan was thrown down, and then they describe Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels. Now, these are the demons. They're not angels anymore because they've been changed. Uh, they were thrown down with him. And then it says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God 
and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. So part of the schemes of the devil, the, the s- Satan, is to make accusations. This is part of the lies that he, that he tries to make, get you to believe. He accuses you. Not, we've talked about this before. He's accusing you to yourself. You're not any good. Nobody loves you. You're worthless. You start hearing all these negative self-talk. That's not God. That's the devil. That's, that's, that's these satanic forces that are trying to, to, to get in there and get you to believe a lie. If he doesn't get you to that, then he'll start accusing God to you. Oh, you can't trust God. Remember when you prayed the other day and nothing happened? Or you prayed and the opposite happened? He'll make an accusation. You can't trust God. God doesn't hear your prayers. God doesn't care for you. If God cared for you, then why would this happen? So he's making these accusations against God and his faithfulness that you can't trust him, that he's not good, that he doesn't even know who you are. You're so insignificant. All of these lies, all of these accusations. And then he'll accuse somebody else to you. Oh, so-and-so doesn't love you. Do you see the way they looked at you? Or they haven't called you in a week. Or they don't, they don't respond to your tweets. or to all the, I don't know all this technology, but you know, they don't respond to you. And so these accusations, and then he's accusing us before God. Oh, don't, you know, don't bless that guy. Don't bless that girl because they, you know, look what they did. They, they, they haven't talked to you in prayer in a long time, and, and the only time they talk to you when they need something. So there's accusations going all over. That's part of his scheme. That's part of his plan. He makes these accusations all the time. Um, so in 1 Peter Chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, Peter writes this. He says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So, So Peter says, I want you to be aware, be sober, be on the alert. Acknowledge the fact that there is a spiritual dynamic that, out there that's against you, that's trying to derail you. He's like a roaring lion, and he's seeking someone to devour. Now, the interesting thing is Peter knows this firsthand. And how does Peter know this firsthand? Well, we know that in Luke 22, Jesus says this to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, once you have been turned again, strengthen your brothers and your sisters. So Satan demanded from God permission to get at Peter. Now, here's the interesting thing. You see that once in the New Testament, this idea that Satan has to get permission to do what he does against God's elect and God's followers. You also see it in the Old Testament. And you see it in the book of Job. So in Job chapter 1, 6 through 12, in Job chapter 2, 1 through 7, you see the same concept. And there's this powerful scene in heaven where where all these people come before the Lord, and Satan is one of those individuals that are there. And and God asked Satan, where you been? He said, I've been roaming around the earth, just checking things out. And then God said, oh, in all your roaming, have you seen my servant Job? He's a righteous man, all this kind of stuff. Well, Satan says, yeah, I've seen him. And the reason he's righteous, the reason he loved, making an accusation about Job to God, he said, the reason that that Job loves you is because you've blessed him so much, which God had done. God had blessed Job. Satan asked permission. He says, let me at him. 
Give me a crack at him, in a sense. And God gives him permission. And then later on, Satan comes back, same scene in heaven, and God says, look at Job. He hasn't cursed me. He hasn't done that. He goes, yeah, you got this hedge of protection around him, so let me add his physical health. Yeah, I've taken away his children. I've killed his livestock. I've done all these things to Job, but I hadn't gotten at him physically. Let me add him physically. You've got this hedge of protection around him. Then, then he'll curse you, and God gives him permission. So here's the bottom line I want to tell you. All of these things that Satan can do, all of these things that, that he wants to do to kill you, destroy you, to get you, you know, you've got to realize and I've got to realize that the power of God and all of these wonderful things that we have keeps him away from us. And even when he comes at us, it's because God has given him permission. Or you've given permission. We'll talk about that in a minute. But in Job 2, I mean in Proverbs 26, 2, it says, A curse without a cause cannot alight. So if, and here's the thing, you and I have been blessed to have 2,000 years of Christian history. And to understand Christianity from the church's standpoint and all, of this, all these theologians who've written about all this stuff and, and people living it out and all this. Kind of, and there's been ups and downs in the Christian era. And unfortunately, there have been good decisions, bad decisions made by the church worldwide. But, but the bottom line, we've got 2,000 years. And so we understand a lot of this stuff. And you and I probably have, like I've, I've been blessed. I've got parents who love the Lord who modeled for me uh, Christianity. I've got grandparents who are in heaven that, that probably prayed me into the kingdom. And so I've got generation after generation of people who walk with Jesus and love the Lord. And when I was born, they were probably praying for me. And then I think about my life as I got saved and began to walk with the Lord. And then I got married and, and then we started having children. When we, Fran and I found out we were pregnant, what did we start doing? We started praying for that baby. We wanted to wait till they were born to know if it's a girl or a boy, so we were praying generically. But from the time that she got pregnant and we knew it, we were praying for that child. Lord, protect this baby. Lord, let this child know you. Father God, when this child is born, we thank you for the gifts and the graces you've given this child. And we've been blessed with three girls. And so we have prayed for those girls from the time we knew they were even conceived. And so, and we continue to pray for them all the time. So when you've got this hedge of protection around, then it's hard for him to get through. And so you might think, well, you know, I just, I, I, we don't have a lot of these bad things that we read about in the New Testament. When you read about Jesus' ministry and having to destroy the works of Satan, you know, when I first got saved and I started reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is casting out devils all the time. And I'm thinking, I've never seen a demon-possessed person. I've grown up in church. And, and you know, that, I, I, so, so there's, because you've not experienced any of that, you, you have the tendency, we have the tendency to say, well, that doesn't happen in the world today. And so there's theology that, that's called dispensationalism that actually says, okay, all these miracles that happened in the New Testament, that was a dispensation. That was a period of time. And they're not for today. Those were needed just to start the church, and the power of God had to be, you know, and so because they didn't experience any of that. They didn't see any of that. They never seen anybody demon-possessed, or they never seen anybody get healed or all those kind of things. So to, 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 to try to say the Bible is true, they would say, well, that just happened back then, and it doesn't happen today. And so as I read through the New Testament as a young Christian, it's like, well, yeah, I've never seen anybody that I would think, they, I've seen some people that are mean, but I've never, you know, and I was fortunate because I grew up in a church and I had people praying for me. And, and, and most of my friends, you know, some of them were, made bad choices and I follow them sometimes. But, but it's like most of it was just good, wholesome living. But then I get to college. 
And I start meeting people from all over the world. And, and many of them didn't walk with Jesus, and their parents didn't walk with Jesus. And I met folks that actually worshiped Satan. And, and, and then when I graduated from, from college and started doing campus ministry, I got exposed to more and more of the wide range of world experience out there. And I began to realize that not everybody has this wonderful Christian upbringing that has a hedge of protection. And, and yeah, bad things happen, but it's like these folks didn't have that. And these folks sometimes would open themselves up like a curse without a cause that's not a light. I wouldn't give Satan much of a cause to, to come at me and, and, and possess me, that kind of thing. Now, he, he would lie to me, and I would make bad choices. But I met folks that had opened themselves up to this spiritual world in a negative sense, who had, who had worshipped Satan, who had prayed to the devil, who, who had done all types of horrible things. And I remember this one young man when I was at Mississippi State doing campus ministry there, Wonderful kid, and he came up to me after one of our meetings, and he said, I want to talk to you because I, I'm just, I'm struggling. And the bottom line is this guy was full of demons. And after two and a half hours of casting out the devil from this guy, we, I had a guest speaker with me that night, and we together prayed for this kid. And I don't want to go into the details because we're online, but the bottom line is this kid was full of all kind of demonic spirits. And when you read the New Testament and you see what Jesus did and how the demons would throw the people on the ground and they would, they would, that's what was happening to this kid until the demon came out of him. But growing up in the Methodist church that I did in Columbus, Georgia, I'd never seen anybody like that. I never experienced. But when we found out after, after this kid is completely set free, when it, was, it was the most awesome thing. We began to find out how these demons started coming into his life and the stuff that he was involved in, the things that he opened himself up to in the spiritual world, the things he had invited to come into his life based on his decisions. Yeah, the devil had a heyday with this kid, but he got set free. And the power of Jesus and the name of Jesus, demons do flee. They cower like little whimpering dogs at the name of Jesus Christ because he has all authority and all power and all dominion. He is God Almighty, and he gave us that same authority in the name of Jesus. Now, there's some guys in the book of Acts, seven sons of Sceva, they were trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And, and the demon inside that guy said, well, we know who Paul is and we know who Jesus is, but who are you? And they jump on this guy and beat him up, and, and it's just an interesting story. But the bottom line is Jesus gave us that same authority to walk in freedom, to, to, to resist the schemes of the devil, and to cast out demons if necessary. Now, don't, I don't want you to be afraid and nervous like God's going to have you cast out demons. Because if there's no need to do that, but God will allow some—there is a need to do that. But God brought somebody to me when I was—and I'm not some spiritual giant, but it's like there was a time in my life when I understood, yes, there is authority in the name of Jesus, and if this guy's got a demon, I don't need to run fright. You have the power to cast the demon out. And the guy that was with me understood that as well. And it's like, so, so if— He's not going to bring somebody to you to get set free from demon. If that, don't worry about, I'm, I'm digging a hole here. Um, don't go thinking you got to go cast down a demon from somebody today because you, you don't have to. But if God brings that person to you and, you and and he wants you to do that, he'll give you what you need to do that. But the bottom line is there is this spiritual world. There is this, these spiritual forces of darkness. And you and I, because we've been so blessed to be in the church, we, we don't experience a lot of that. But in the world, they do. In the world, that's out there. 
And you might be thinking of somebody right now who, who, who really is struggling, and Satan has lied to them. It may not be possessed by a demon, but, they, but they've been bound by a lie. And they're following a course of life that's going to lead them to destruction. And you have the truth, and I have the truth, and we can care for that person tenderly. And if they'll trust in the words of God, if they'll believe in the, in the kingdom of God and in and, and the light that Jesus gives us, just like this woman for 18 years, they can be free from that bondage that they're in. And it might be all up here for them, and it might be all right here for them. But Jesus came to set the captives free. Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. And you and I, as followers of Christ, can live into that freedom. And because of the light he's given us, can share it with others and see victory for them. Amen?